0: Bibles with you, I want to invite you uh, to turn with me, please, to Psalm 145, verse 17, please. Psalm 145. And then also, if you'll put a finger in uh Psalm 103 and verse 19 and then one more you got 10 another finger in Matthew chapter 10 Matthew Chapter 10, I'll repeat these in just a second, verse 29, Matthew 10, verse 29, Psalm 145, Psalm 103, Matthew 10. Let's pray, and then we'll read these texts. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise, we honor you. We thank you that you've given us a light for our feet, a lamp unto our path. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit uses the Bible and its preaching to minister to us, to build up our love for you, our love for each other, our love for the lost, uh, to increase our faith, to help us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus In the way we think, the way we act, the speak, Lord, even even into the very secret places of our heart, you do the work of grace and sanctification. We pray that the preaching would be a blessing. We pray that the Lord's table would be a blessing tonight, that we would come away with a sense of blessing, that we would enjoy you, that we would delight in you, that we would love you, that we would know you and we would be known by you. So bless us, Lord. As we feed on your word and then bless us as we feed at your table. And we pray this in Jesus name for Christ's sake. Amen. Psalm 145, Psalm 145 and verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Then if you'll turn with me to Psalm 103. And verse 19, please. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. And then finally, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Amen. Now, I'm going to be uh, doing a short series uh, this summer on uh, Puritan theology. Each year I try to take a personal vow at the beginning of the year to devote myself to a certain amount of study uh, in that year, just as ongoing education. I think every minister ought to do it. Um, And uh, one of the ways that I get motivated is uh, by taking a (laughs) vow <laughs> and fearing that uh, bad things will happen if I don't do what, I'll, what I said. So, uh, this year, I am, as a part of my uh, study vow, I am reading this book. It's a thousand pages. And one of the ways I thought maybe that uh, I might uh, profit from this is not only by reading this book, but maybe doing some evening sermons in the summer uh, with the help uh, from this book. This is a book, uh, and it's been very good. It's called A Puritan Theology, Doctrine for Life by Joel Beakey and Mark Jones. Uh, Many of you, I know, know know Joel Beakey. Uh, Mark Jones has been kind of an up and coming name in recent years, Uh, but they uh, co-authored together uh, this book on Puritan uh, doctrine. And so I want to talk a little bit about, they they devote a chapter to the providence of God. I'm actually going to uh, preach a sermon that I did back in 2014 on the providence of God. But I am going to try and add some extra uh, that came from our study, my study uh, from this book here. So let's talk tonight, uh, boys and girls, uh, I want you to tune in as well. Uh, we'll talk about a very important and very practical doctrine uh, that will, I think, if you think about it a little bit, you'll see uh, that you can use it and benefit from it every day of your life. And that is the doctrine of God's providence. Now, what do I mean by the doctrine of providence? Well, the providence of God is God exercising his sovereignty in your daily affairs. That is, we believe that just as we read from the scripture here, that God is sovereign over everything in this world. Now, a lot of your neighbors don't have this view of God. You need to understand that a lot of your neighbors, even if they are theists, they believe oftentimes that God created everything But often they have a view that God doesn't govern everything. He certainly is not involved in bad things. Many times you'll hear even liberal ministers say, well, God was not involved in that bad, tragic event, but he's with us now to comfort us. That's not a biblical view of God's sovereignty or God's providence. Boys and girls, I want you to understand that. God is sovereign over everything. And even as we read from Matthew chapter 10, even the very small things God is sovereign over. And that's important, too, because a lot of your neighbors don't believe that. They say, well, I, you know, I believe God's too busy about this. Sometimes I'll even tell people, they'll tell me they've got a problem. And I say, well, you know, I'll pray for you. It's a way of witnessing to them. I say, oh, I'll pray for you. that situation that you're worried about, about your job or whatever. And, the, and sometimes I'll get this. They'll say, oh, I think God has bigger things to do as a, as a common response. Well, you see, they don't understand. That God is in control of the very details. And we see that in Matthew chapter 10 because we see that even a tiny little sparrow that falls from the tree, God is sovereign over that. God is in control even over the smallest details of the world that goes on around us here. So providence is not a word that we hear much today. A lot of times our fathers in previous centuries knew it. That term was used liberally in the correspondence of our theological fathers. Uh, in colonial America, they would have known that. We named some of our communities. Providence, Canyon, Georgia. Many of you have been to Providence, Canyon. Providence, Rhode Island. Another place. Now, what does Providence mean? Well, it comes from the Latin pro, meaning for, and video or video, depending whether you had ecclesiastical or classical Latin, uh, meaning to see. And when you put that together, God can foresee. We need to understand it's not just a foreknowledge; uh, it is tied to God's foreknowledge, but it also deals with the sovereignty. Let me read you what the Shorter Catechism says. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, "Providence." Oh, excuse me. Uh, no, I'm sorry. This is the uh, di- the. Uh, New Dictionary of Theology that uh, Wright and uh, James Packer and Sinclair Ferguson put together. This is their definition. Providence is the beneficent outworking of God's sovereignty. It's The outworking of God's sovereignty whereby all events are directed and disposed to bring about those purposes of glory and good for which the universe was made. So it's simply God controlling everything that happens. John, the, John of Damascus defines it as, quote, the solicitude that God has for all things. God's care over all the details. Uh, Bobbing, Herman Bobbing, some of you guys, you like the, the, the Dutch theologian Herman Bobbing. Bobbing speaks of scripture in its totality is a book of God's providence. It deals with God's preservation. It deals with God's government. Let me read you from the Heidelberg Catechism. That uh, catechism, by the way, is now in your new Psalter hymnal. Uh, The almighty and ever-present power of God, by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures. And so rules them that that all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. So a right understanding of providence is going to guard you from three fundamental errors that are out there. They've been out there for centuries. They're still out there today. Number one is deism. Deism is the the old analogy is that God is like a clockmaker. He makes the clock, he winds it up, and then he goes about his business. That's deism. God leaves his creation to just kind of run on the laws of nature, run like a machine. And God isn't anywhere in the picture after that. Number two, it guards us not only from deism, but fatalism, fatalism. Now, fatalism can take a number of different avenues Uh, in some parts of the world, like in the Middle East. It's it's Islam. Islam is a fatalistic religion. Um, Whatever happens, happens. It's beyond man's control. And there is a denial of personal free agency often. uh, Involved in that in the in the secular West, it might be in terms of horoscopes, people who rely on astrology to or yeah, astrology. I always have to check myself, uh, you know, that that uh, it's the way the stars and the planets are aligned. That's going to guide, you know, what happens. You know, people say, you know, every time a plane crashes, you know, somebody's horoscope was wrong uh, that day. There's just, there's only so many. You know horoscopes, and somebody's somebody got it wrong. Uh, That's fatalism, though, just dependence on the stars. And then there's the third one, also in the secular West, and uh, even if they're not into horoscopes, many secular people are into what they would call as chance. Chance, there—that is, there's no real direction or purpose to life. Things just happen. Now, that is not what we believe. We believe God is a personal God. He's intimately acquainted with his creation and all its creatures. And he gives personal guidance of the world's events. John Calvin, the Protestant reformer, said God's hand is at the helm. And you might think of uh, boys and girls in the old ships where the captain or one of the sailors would have his hand on the giant wheel on the deck of the ship, guiding and directing it. Well, John Calvin said it's like that. He said he, he, God guides all things, including his care for small birds and everything else. Now, one of the things that I said in the introduction is this is a very practical theological doctrine. It's really one of the most practical ones because we deal with providence all the time. It's all around us. Everything happens providentially. You know, boys and girls, there's nothing that happens tomorrow that wasn't ordained of God. I mean, it's an amazing little thing to think about when you think about all the details of life, all its intricacies, all the variables, all the things that actually do fall out that could have done otherwise. They're all orchestrated by God. Everything is. And when we think about that. It becomes wonderful, particularly because as Christians, we know that everything is working out for ultimately our good. Romans 8, 28, this is where Romans eight twenty eight becomes so wonderful. The sovereignty of God and all its details is being worked out so that I can be more like Jesus Christ one day. That I can be in a world of glory, that I can be in a world without sin, that I can be growing in, in sanctification The father is doing everything, guiding everything in all his infinite wisdom. And if there was something better, God would do that. So everything providentially that is falling out is doing so from an infinitely wise father. The Bible says everything is working together for the good of the church. Everybody who loves God, everything is working out for their good. Now, I want to say Now All that was by introduction. I want to say a couple things here uh, for us tonight. Number one, we're going to see that God is sovereign. Number two, we're going to talk about a Puritan named John Flavel. He wrote a book on providence, the mystery of providence. And then, thirdly, I want to talk about how to meditate on the providence of God for your life. And I want to read you some helpful quotes here from this big book. All right. Those three things. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Well, the doctrine of providence recognizes that God is absolutely sovereign. Psalm 103, verse 19, we read that. His kingdom is over the whole universe. God governs everything. Everything is under the rule and the control of God in his absolute power and authority. We read, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. The most powerful people in this world. The prime ministers, the premiers, the dictators, the presidents are all under the sovereign control of the Lord. And the Lord is governing President Trump or Putin or Miss May in Britain. All of them are under the control of God. He's directing them according to his sovereign plan. This is why we as free agents under God's economy should be praying for the civil magistrate because God uses our prayers as a part of his sovereign plan and his purposes are carried out through the prayers. This is why you and I should be praying. Now, we see this in the Bible. Pharaoh, you'll remember, uh, boys and girls, Pharaoh's heart was hardened by the providence of God, wasn't it? God sends Moses. Moses preaches the word. And Pharaoh doesn't respond by faith. And anytime you hear the word of God and you resist it, God hardens the heart. And then we find in another occasion, later in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, there's another king named Cyrus. And there, what does God do? He softens Cyrus' heart. And Cyrus makes a decree and he says, I want the children of Israel to go back to their homeland and I want them to rebuild the temple and I want them to make sacrifices and I want them to pray for me. And God governed that. So God governs over small things like the care of birds. Be anxious for nothing, Jesus said. But what? Look at look at your bird feeder. Look at your backyard. Who was I talking about birds with this week? They said birds weren't interesting. <laughs> Jesus said, look at the birds. It's a cure for anxiety. Uh, there's no bird on a John Deere tractor, is there? No bird building a barn in your backyard. And yet God feeds them, doesn't he? And if God takes care of little creatures like that, he's going to take care of you. And so we need, to, we need to learn from God's providential care of his creatures, not to worry about our own lives. Put our trust in God. You are of greater value. Not a hair. The Bible says not a hair from your head can fall apart from what? The will of God. God has numbered your hairs. Talk about detail. That's more detail for some than others, I realize. But uh, and I'm losing mine right here. But God has them all numbered. It's all planned. You know, 1 Kings chapter 22 is an interesting chapter on the providence of God. It's an interesting illustration. Um. You have the prophet Micaiah, or Micaiah, you may pronounce it. And Micaiah prophesies the death of King Ahab at Ramoth Gilead. And uh, this is before the Ahab's third campaign against Aram. And this all happens, it's prophesied before Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's a good king, Ahab's a bad king. But Jehoshaphat, good man, but he made a bad alliance. But anyway, so what is... What does Ahab do? Well, he tries to get out from under that prophecy. And he says, you, you, Jehoshaphat, you dress like the king. I'm going to dress like an ordinary soldier uh, so that this prophecy doesn't come to pass. Well, what happens? A random arrow goes through the air and it hits him right between the joint of his armor. And it penetrates his body. And Ahab ends up dying. And so we see that the prophecy is fulfilled. Now, how can that happen? Well, because God is in control of the providence of it all. God's in control. We see Jesus betrayed exactly for 30 silver pieces. We see Psalm 22 fulfilled in its details that Jesus' hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. A Roman. Uh, th- this is well before the, the Roman Empire had taken over. This is a thousand years Before the Roman Empire, Uh, and and yet that uh, peculiar form of capital punishment was prophesied in Psalm twenty-two, brought about by the details of God's providence. Later, John Flavel says this: How else but providence could explain how weaker forces can overcome superior forces? And he gives um, he gives some examples, like in the Roman Empire in the days of the early church. He said there were ten persecutions. From the mightiest empire. Think about that. The, the mightiest nation on earth was was pouring out its power against the early church to destroy it. And yet it was the church that lived and the empire was gone. You think about Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel chapter six. And yet Daniel is saved and the, and, and as soon as Daniel is taken out and Daniel's enemies are thrown in, what do the lions do? Suddenly they pounce. In Psalm chapter 8, and verse 2, we're told that out of the mouth of babes, uh, the Lord's praise would come. And and, and and what do we find? Young children praising Jesus as he comes in to Jerusalem and the Pharisees are rebuked for their unbelief by these children. We find that out of a little horn of a ram and the shout of God's people, the walls of Jericho fall down. How could that ever happen? It's the providence of God. God ordained that to happen and He, he brought it about. Now, John Flavel uh, wrote a book, Mystery of Providence, and he said there are a lot of things that we could do uh, to encourage ourselves by meditating on providence. One of the things Flavel said is he said, think about your birth. Now, I know you don't remember it, but he says, think about it. And he quotes from Psalm 139, verse 15, and, and how God is there uh, when, when you were being made and fashioned. And he says, if you have low thoughts... Of this mercy of God, even at the beginning of your life, he says, ask the blind or the deaf or the lame of the value of the mercies of God in in giving you good health. He says, uh, think about your upbringing, meditate on your upbringing. He's, this is a good one, especially I think you children, you, you, you often take it for granted that you're here in a in a reformed Presbyterian church. Sitting under preaching, and you, you know, you, uh, I think it's David Everett likes to say, you know, they have a thousand dollars in their pocket and they don't even realize it. Uh, you could have been born in a, in a Muslim country. You, you could have been born in a in a land full of idolatry. Uh, you could have been born in a Roman Catholic country where the the gospel, the knowledge of the gospel, is obscured by superstitions and corrupt teachings. And yet, in the providence of God, you were placed in a Christian home and in, in, a, in a church where the Word of God is taught week in and week out. Think about the providence of God in your own conversion. Whether you were, came to Christ in a Christian home, raised in a Christian home, or whether God, in His providence, introduced you to people who were Christians and you began to talk to them and they. Maybe put books in your hand or they invited you to church and you came to faith in Jesus Christ. That was all orchestrated either way. However, you came to Christ, whether you were born into the covenant community, whether you came by faith into the covenant community from outside from the world. It was orchestrated by the providence of God bringing you to Christ. Flavel says, think about your calling, meditate on the providence of God in calling you to what you do. That God gave you employment that was suitable for you and tailor-made for you. He gave you the gifts to, to do that work. He said, think about your family. Providence, uh, Proverbs excuse me, chapter 19, verse 14 says, A prudent wife is from the Lord. Let me read you what Flavel says. This is a direct quote here. Flavel says, In this, the Lord often goes beyond our thoughts and plans. Yea, and often crosses men's desires and di- designs to their great advantage. You wanted person A, maybe, and God introduced you person B, maybe, and that was to your advantage. And later you look back and you're like, wow, look what God saved me from. Now, of course, as one pastor said, that's what they're saying about you, too. <laughs> <laughs> Flavel goes on, he says, not what they expect, but what his infinite wisdom judges best and most beneficial for them takes place. Hence, it is that probabilities are so often dashed and things remote and utterly improbable are brought about. He says in very strange and unaccountable methods of providence. You know, we, we see that sometimes um in a variety of ways, uh, you know. I think, as, as one who enjoys sports myself, I, I'm amazed at some of the men who become the best athlete in in that field. I think of Jerry Rice, and Jerry Rice is playing in Division Three football in a tiny school in Mississippi, completely off of the radar. Just improbable that that a guy would. You know, playing at that level would become one of the greatest wide receivers. And, and there's many of those people that w- were supposed to be the best. They were they were number one pick in the NFL draft to be the QB that was going to lead that team to victory. I won't name the names, Ryan, and they fail big time, and they are a huge bust. And that wasn't supposed to happen. It's all the providence of God. The label goes on. He says, do not show the least discontent at the lot and portion of providence carves out for you. Oh, that you would be well pleased and satisfied with all its appointments. He says, say, quote from the scripture. Here, he says, say that the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Surely, Flavel says, surely that is best for you, which providence has appointed. And one day you yourselves will judge it so to be. Sinclair Ferguson has said that the providence of God is like Hebrew. You can't understand it until you read it backwards. And sometimes we will only understand it by reading it backwards from the perspective of glory itself. Others have said that the providence of God is like the inner workings of a clock or an analogical watch where uh, the gears are moving one way and these gears are moving another way. And it looks all like a mess and confusing, but it's only when we step back that we realize that there's a real purpose for it all. Flavel says we ought to also think about God's providence with regard to the preservation of Christians from evil. David was rescued from sinning by the intervention of Abigail, you'll remember. David wanted to kill Abigail's husband and a whole lot of them. And she came and and said, "Uh, here, here's the provision that my husband wouldn't give you. Sometimes the counsel of a friend has kept you from sinning. Sometimes God has hindered the wicked from harming you. They were plotting against you and God wouldn't allow them to bring it about. Sometimes God has given you an affliction to keep you from something worse. And we talked about that this morning. Remember, boys and girls, we talked about the apostle Paul and the thorn in his flesh and that was a mercy from God. It didn't seem like it to Paul and it doesn't seem like it to us when it's happening. But remember, it could have been worse. God could have allowed Paul to become proud and if he becomes proud, he becomes useless. And so to keep Paul humble, because Paul was hearing things that nobody else got to hear. He's getting revelation from God that nobody else was getting. And so to keep him from exalting himself, God gave him this messenger from Satan. Sometimes God keeps his people from sin by teaching of the word. Just simple, ordinary providence. God sometimes will remove temptations from his people, even sometimes by death. Sometimes God will, if violent persecution or trial is coming, sometimes God removes his saints by way of death before it comes. You think of, uh, I think it was Samuel Rutherford that I mentioned earlier. And he was summoned by the king to come and stand trial uh, for his uh, works, including Lex Rex, which was a huge annoyance to the king. And uh, but Rutherford was dying and he told the king that he's already been summoned by a a higher court, a better king. And uh, he died he he was sick. He was in bed when he got the summons and the Lord took him home. Well, let me uh, talk to you about meditating on the providence of God here. And then I want to give you a few uh, gems also from this book here. Uh, number one, give you three. Number one, think about the many providences of God in your life. Uh, we are not a reflective culture. We're busy, busy, busy. Uh, the phone uh, in our hands hasn't made it easier to meditate, but we need to practice it. Prayer, Flavel says, honors providence. Prayer honors providence. And providence honors prayer. Isn't that great? Prayer honors providence. What does he mean by that? Well, as you think about the providence of God in your life, it leads you to prayer. And prayer is a way of thanking God for the providence that he's ordained in your life. And he says, and the providence of God honors your prayer. That is, your prayers become a part of God's future providence. Prayer honors providence and providence honors prayer. Number two, observe the providence of God and the Word of God fulfilled to you by them. Observe the providence of God and the Word of God. Now, many times the providence of God, kids, you need to understand this, is very difficult to interpret. Okay? And you need to be very careful. The Bible is hard enough to interpret, isn't it? There's a lot of passages that are difficult. The providence of God is even many times more perplexing. Let me give you a hint. Interpret the providence of God by the word of God. Okay? Sometimes there are well-meaning Christians and well-meaning Christian denominations and traditions out there. They're going to try and interpret providence for you. and They're going to say, this happened because God dot, dot, dot. Meant this by it. And you need to be very careful. This is why Jesus says don't judge. Because we don't know for sure. Remember the disciples? Lord, why is this man lame? Did he sin? Or did his parents? And what's the answer? This man is providentially paralyzed for the glory of God. And not for either of the reasons that the disciples brought. And so we have to be very, very careful how we interpret providence. We are to study providence. Meditate upon it. But remember, it is a mystery. And the best way to interpret providence is by the word of God itself. Final uh, thing here about meditating on the providence of God uh, Flavel says, I, God, as the author of your particular providences, recognize that the Lord is behind it all and the Lord loves you and is ordaining all of this ultimately for you. Let me give you, They um, have a conclusion here. <clears throat> I want to give you a few things here. Just uh, One comes from, uh, by Thomas Boston. And uh, this is in, called God has straight purposes for crooked providences. God has straight purposes for crooked providences. And by crooked providence, they mean something that is not agreeable to us. But yet God has a straight purpose for it. And then there are seven that Boston lists here. Number one, to prove your spiritual state as a hypocrite or a genuine believer. That is the trial that you're going through. Is to test your faith, to find out what you're made of. Are you a genuine Christian, following Jesus Christ? No matter what, or are you in it? Are you, you know, are you the, uh, are you the kind of fan that shows up for the team when they're winning? And and so long as the team is winning, man, you're there. You got the jersey. But when they hit a bad streak, whoo, you're not interested anymore. Fairweather fan. Number two, to stir up your obedience. Crooked God has straight purposes for your crooked providences. Number two, to stir, up, stir you up to obedience. To wean you from this world. To set your eyes on heaven. Number three, to convict you of sin. Number four, to correct or punish you for sin. Number five, to prevent you from committing sin. Number six, to reveal latent sin deep within your heart. And seven, to awaken you from laziness so that you will exercise yourselves in grace. And then uh, I think Beeky was the one who wrote this chapter. Sometimes you have to guess which author it was that wrote this chapter. Let me give you uh, this at the end. In summary, in conclusion, um, Beeky and Jones say this. The Puritan writings also apply to people in the 21st century who suffer massive change. More than that, they spell out clearly some biblical principles that Christians today desperately need to hear. And they use bullet points. I don't know how many of them there are here, but I'm going to read them. Number one, God is in control of his universe. God is in control of his universe. Number two, God is working out his perfect purposes also in my life. God is working out his perfect purposes in your life. Number three, we need to remember that God is not my servant. God is not my servant. Number four, God's ways are far more mysterious and wonderful than I can understand. God's ways are far more mysterious and wonderful than I can understand. Number five, God is always good. I can always trust him. God is always good. I can always trust him. Number six. God's timetable is not the same as mine. I'm a 51-year-old single guy. I understand that one. (laughs) God's timetable is not the same as mine. Number seven, God is far more interested in what I become than in what I do. God is more interested in who you become, like Jesus, than what you do. Number eight, freedom from suffering is not promised in the Christian gospel. Freedom from suffering is not promised in the Christian gospel. Number nine, suffering is an integral part of the Christian life. Suffering is an integral part of the Christian life. Number ten, God works through suffering to fulfill his purposes in me. God works through suffering to fulfill his purposes in me. What am I on? Eleven? Run out of fingers here. Eleven. God's purposes, not mine, are what bring him glory. God's purposes, not mine, are what bring him glory. Number twelve. God enables me to read his providences through the lens of his word. God enables me to read the, his providences through the lens of his word. Finally, thirteen. I have few greater pleasures than tracing the wonders of God's way. I have few greater pleasures than and tracing the wonders of God's way. Amen. Let's pray.